people jump for joy. My name is Mary Carol, and today's reading is from the Good News according to Luke, chapter 14, starting at verse 1, but skipping ahead a little bit. Listen for the word of God. On one occasion, when Jesus was going to the house of a leader of the Pharisees to eat a meal on the Sabbath, they were watching him closely. When Jesus noticed how the guests chose the place of honor, he told them a parable. When you are invited by someone to a wedding banquet, do not sit down in the place of honor in case someone more distinguished than you has been invited by your host. And the host might come to you, and the host who invited both of you may come and say to you, give this person your place. And then in disgrace, you would start to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit at the lowest place so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up closer, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Jesus also said to the one who had invited him, When you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers, or your relatives, or rich neighbors, in case they may invite you in return, and you would be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, and you will be blessed, because they cannot repay you for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Hear what the Spirit is saying to us, the church. So before I continue, I just want to say that I'm only going to deal with the first half of today's reading, and uh, we're going to hear that reading again next week. So I just felt like there were two sermons, and why, why waste two on one day? <laughs> Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O oh God, our strength, our rock, and our redeemer. Amen. So Jesus has been invited to a special Sabbath 
dinner, a high society Sabbath dinner party put on by the Pharisees. It's tuxedos and little black dresses, servers with little trays of hors d'oeuvres and skinny champagne flutes, one of those guys with the, you know, the, the fork and the roast beef or the prime rib. All the important people are there, doctors and lawyers, corporate titans and high-powered politicians. Everybody's very witty and very charming, and everybody's having a great time. Once cocktail time is over, though, it's time to sit down. When it's time to sit down, something a little less dignified happens, thanks to Jesus. Somebody seems to, everybody seems to be climbing over each other for the head table. When they can't get that one, they scramble on to the next table, then the next closest, and so on and so on. I mean, it makes sense that the head table is the chief of police, the bishop, the local MP, you know, Gord, Gord's there, you know. The head of the chamber of commerce is there. The closer you are to this table, the closer you are to power, to influence, and prestige. And this is what they're all elbowing each other for. You want to be in the room where it happens. Proximity is kind of the point of the whole party. Once everybody's settled in their seats, though, Jesus stands and he ding, 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 ding. Let me tell you a little story, he says, a parable, if you will. Say you show up to a wedding reception one day, don't like barge right up to the front and sit at the head table. I mean, if there's a spare chair there, even, there's a good chance that somebody more important, the maid of honor, or one of the groomsmen is going to show up and you're going to end up looking kind of dumb and get sent to the back anyway. So here's what you do. You go to the back first. You find the table furthest away, you know, the one by the washroom. And you plant yourself down right there. Then the host will see you all alone and move you on up to a spare seat in the front. It looks way Better to be moved up rather than knocked down. Can we get the next slide? And the moral of the story, Jesus says, all who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. You can only assume that there are a few, you know, <coughs> and then everybody went back to their duck l'orange. Is that a fancy? Is that a fancy food? I don't know what fancy foods are. Why? Because what Jesus said here is silly. It's nonsensical. No wedding party has ever been like that. The grown-up assigned to the kids' table never gets catapulted right beside the father of the bride. Life in general doesn't work like that usually either. You don't win the election by dragging out all the skeletons in your closet. You don't become CEO by scrubbing toilets. You get to the top by climbing to the top, not by sliding to the bottom. Jesus' little speech is silly because it's not the way the world works. It's not the way the world works, and that's kind of the point. 
Remember that this little speech by Jesus is a parable. And my friend and mentor Ed Searcy used to say that Jesus' parables are like little sticks of dynamite that he tosses out there, you know? They're meant to blow our minds, to challenge our conventional wisdom. They're meant to demolish our world so a new and different world can grow up in the ruins. And this new and different world is called the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. The world as God intends it to be now and into eternity. The world Jesus inaugurates with his death, life, death, and resurrection. You know that prayer, thy kingdom come, God's will on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus tells parables not as a way to describe the world as it is. No, he tells them to blow our old world away verbally (laughs) and disclose the nature of God and God's kingdom. So what does the parable say about God and God's kingdom then? Well, the wedding party is the kingdom, the kingdom of God. And Christ is the host seated at the head table. And we won't get a good seat at the party by rushing the head table, but by taking the one behind the cement column, the one with the obstructed view. Where we value success, status, notoriety, it says that God's all about the opposite. If you go back to the very first chapter of Luke's gospel, Mary sings a song when she hears that she's pregnant with the Lord, and she sings that he has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. In Christ, God is turning the world over. The stairway to heaven ain't up, it's down. The humble will recline in box seats with an open bar, but the exalted will find themselves chomping stale popcorn in the nosebleeds. And you know, I recently saw this parable play it itself out before my very eyes on TV. Could we get the next slide, please? So who, who here has been watching the AMC series Better Call Saul? Okay, a few of you, yeah, I figured a few of you would be. Okay, so spoiler alert, I'm about to talk about the very last episode and the finale. So if you don't want me to ruin it, plug your ears or pick up the Bible in front of you and just, you know, read your way from Genesis to the end or whatever. My apologies. I'm giving you all the warning possible. Okay? Now, for those of us unfamiliar with the show, it centers around a sleazy lawyer who goes by the name Saul Goodman, whose real name is Jimmy McGill. From the beginning, Saul, or Jimmy, has been a scam artist looking for easy ways to get ahead and make money, always competing with his older brother, who's a prominent, successful, and very wealthy attorney. He wants a seat at the table at the wedding feast and will do anything to get it. Soon enough, he has his own shady law practice, and soon enough, he finds himself embezzling millions of dollars for and defending a very successful crystal meth cook, which, you know, for more on that, see the series Breaking Bad. Long story short, this meth cook goes out in a blaze, people die, the whole operation is found out, and Goodman hides for several years under a fake name, managing a Cinnabon 
but is eventually found out and brought to trial. The U.S. attorney offers a plea deal of 30 years in prison, but slippery con artist as he is, he paints himself as a victim. He lies and deflects blame. He manipulates his way to seven years in a minimum security prison and a weekly delivery of his favorite ice cream. It looks like he's about to wiggle his way out of a jam yet again. He may have lost his seat at the wedding party, but he'll be back at that head table in seven years flat. But here's this incredible twist, and this is the, you know, cover your ears. It's all over the internet too, so it's not just me, it's not my fault. When he's finally brought before the judge, he takes the witness stand, and he admits to everything. He admits his complicity in murder and money laundering, says he saw a chance to get rich and took it and made millions. He even admits to stuff that had nothing to do with the trial. He helped cover up another murder before he got in with a meth dealer. He even admits to scheming to get his older brother's law practice taken away, his law license taken away, which lead, led to his brother's eventual suicide. And the judge are like, are you sure you know what you're doing? And his lawyer just tries to make objections to his own, his own client's testimony. But the truth just keeps flowing out of him like a dam that was ready to burst. And the final scene of the show has Goodman being led by a guard through what's obviously a bleak maximum security prison to where he's visited by his ex-wife and partner in crime. Their conversation reveals to us that instead of the seven-year sentence he'd whittled down to before, he's been given 86. There's a comment about how, seeing how things go with good behavior, but it's very clear that it's a dark joke. Those who exalt themselves will be humbled, Jesus says. And Goodman's just about as humbled as humble gets. He's lost his seat at the head table, any table, for good. And the thing is that he's the one who brought it about. He gave in to the sentence. I mean, some critics said that this was a dumb ending because it was so out of character. It goes against the premise of the entire show. Not only that, but he's just thrown away his entire life for what? It's not going to bring anybody back or unprocess any crystal meth. He's going to be a prisoner for the rest of his life, he could have been out in seven years and back on top again. It just doesn't make any sense, from the outside, at least. But I think I know why the show ends like this. One of the creators, Vince Gilligan, was raised Catholic. He said in interviews how it's been such a huge influence on his life and his worldview. I remember him saying somewhere that he wanted to create a show that kind of reflects an Old Testament eye-for-an-eye worldview where everybody gets what's coming to them. And that's kind of what happens here. But from a Christian point of view, though, this is, in the end, not just New Te Old Testament. This is very New Testament. To be clear that Goodman isn't a religious figure of any kind. There's little overt Christianity in this show, yet Goodman somehow understood 
in the end that's striving for money, fame, success, status, meaning, purpose, all the stuff we hold dear doesn't get us any closer to the seat of honor we long for in the end. In fact, it actually gets us further away. But in coming clean, giving in, accepting responsibility, giving it all up, he was finally doing what was right. And not only was he doing what was right, he was truly embracing the good. Capital G, good. If you watch this show with your Jesus goggles on, you'll see the witness stand, next slide, you'll see the witness stand as an altar of the Lord. And that in grabbing, a, grabbing an aluminum prison tray full of baked beans, he was taking his place at the head of the table in the kingdom of God. In humbling himself, he would finally be exalted. Even behind bars for the rest of his life, he would know what we call freedom in Christ. In that way, the end of Better Call Saul is its own parable of the kingdom of God. I mean, you don't have to be a sleazy lawyer, accomplice in murder to get the point. The point is that it shatters all of our striving for success. All that reaching and grasping for notoriety, in the end, it is pointless. In the cosmic scheme of things, it isn't worth squat. Castles made of the sand always slip into the sea eventually, like Jimi Hendrix said. And I don't just mean money or financial stability or careers. To be clear, it's far easier to be humble if you're poor or on the margins because life has a way of humbling you already. But it's not just wealth we're talking about. We're talking about every way we try to justify ourselves, the way we demonstrate our virtues to others, the way that we parrot the right slogans and opinions online, the way we compare ourselves favorably to our social and moral lessers, the numbers of Facebook shares and likes we can accrue, even the ways that we embrace our victimhood and pain as a way to gain dignity and respect. Everything we do to have enough, do enough, or be enough, every way we try to claw our way to that front table, no matter where we start at, all that is completely worthless when it comes to our place in the kingdom of God. In fact, like the parable says, in the end, the only thing this stuff will ever buy is eternal humiliation. Those who exalt themselves will be humbled. If not now, the day will come one day. No, our exaltation is only to be found in humility. The dining set in the kingdom of God comes only in untreated timber in the shape of a cross. Our resurrection comes only with our death. Our true status, true success, 
true meaning, true purpose, true freedom, and true joy is only found in giving up on it and giving it away. So friends, let's take our seats at the table of the Lord, the one that's been prepared for us since before the beginning of time, one that we don't deserve and one that we could never earn. Let's take our place in the kingdom of God here and now and forever, not by seeking pride of place, nor by striving, proving, or justifying our existence, but by giving it away by humbly accepting it as the incredible gift that it already is. For this, thanks be to God. Amen. for our hymn of the day, all poor ones and humble. <laughs> 